Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nutrition Lifestyles with Kim and Joanne. I'm Kim. And I'm Joanne. And today we have with us Dr. Eric Walsh. If you have not done so, Dr. Walsh's colleague, Dr. Columbus Batiste, was on a previous episode. So please be sure to go back and listen to that one before you listen to this one. Right. So let me just tell you guys a little bit about Dr. Eric Walsh. So Dr. Walsh was born in Hartford, Connecticut, and he's a graduate of the University of Miami (laughs) School of Medicine. He also attended Loma Linda University School of Public Health, where he received his master's and doctorate degree, both in public health. His most important educational experience was his time at Oakwood University. He has served two United States presidents, George W. Bush and Barack Obama, as an advisor on HIV slash AIDS. Dr. Walsh is now a practicing physician and a health care administrator. Currently, he is the medical director of the 18 Urgent Cares in Connecticut, where he lives. He travels the globe speaking on many subjects. He has a passion for introducing people to the new life they will find in a whole food, plant-based diet. He has embarked on such a journey himself and has lost over 50 pounds and is counting. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Walsh. We are so happy to have you. Great to yes. be with you. Um, I'm glad we were able to set this up. Yes, yes. So we um, spoke to your your colleague previously about the slave food project. And today we wanted to continue that conversation with you so we can get a little bit more detail, more information, because it's so interesting what you guys are doing. But let's back it up a little bit and just talk about us as a people in general, I guess you could say. What are comfort foods as you would describe them and why are they so big in the United States? So comfort foods are foods that are designed to change your mood. That is the best way, in my opinion, to decide, describe a comfort food. So what you learn, uh, you know, I did a little stint in addiction medicine for one of my residencies. And what you learn is that anything that changes your mood can become addicting, right? Mm-hmm. So comfort foods are foods you use, um, you'd often think primarily to change a mood when your mood is down. Mm-hmm. But what I found is that comfort foods are also what you use to reward yourself when your mood is up, just like cigarette smokers. If a cigarette smoker gets, a, gets fired from their job, they need a cigarette. They get. Mm-hmm. They found that they got promoted. Mm-hmm. They need a cigarette. <laughs> um, so comfort foods are are made to 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 manipulate your mood. Mm. They do this uh, from a number of ways, um, and each food is different. But in general, it's by releasing in the brain um, dopamine and causing a bit of euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll talk. We can talk more about how the food industry actually does this. But comfort foods are designed to lower stress as well. So uh, when there's a release in cortisol uh, from stress, the whole stress hormone, it actually triggers stress pathways in the body. And what we found actually is that when this cortisol uh, hormone is released, um, it actually, when the levels of cortisol hormones stay high, it causes resistance to cortisol. So what mm-hmm. happens is then your, in, your pro-inflammatory cells in your immune system no longer respond to cortisol, which is supposed to turn off inflammation. Wow. When your body is in this hyperinflammatory state, inflammation and some of these pro-inflammatory compounds get into the brain, uh, hit the hypothalamus, and what happens is you lose your ability. This is critical. You lose, to some extent, your ability to regulate your appetite. Oh, my goodness. Mm. So comfort foods are designed, in a sense, 
to one, change your mood, make you feel better if you feel bad, if you're feeling really great, to kind of as a way to compensate for that and kind of uh, stabilize your mood, but also when you're stressed to, as a way to relieve stress. And so when cortisol levels get high and they stay high, any bit of stress, you, your body can't handle it well. It actually creates like a positive feedback loop in the brain. And the more stressed you become, the more you need these comfort foods. Dr. Batiste always says, and I think he gets it from a nutritionist, um, stressed is desserts spelled backwards. So when you get stressed out, what do you reach for? Sugar. Sweets, desserts. But desserts in America are not simply sugar. They're a combination usually of sugar and fat with some salt. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, I don't want to call it the holy trinity of foods, but let's talk about that trinity, the sugar, the fat, and the salt. How does this impact the body? And why do people, especially people of color, black people, crave these foods? So I think a trinity is a good word, but it's not a holy trinity. It's an evil trinity. So salt, sugar, and fat work together. And the way the food industry does this, you can read Michael uh, Moss's book, um, Salt, Sugar, Fat, by that name. Um, And there are other books um, like Fast Food Genocide by Dr. Joel Furman. Um, and some of the work, of course, the nutritionfacts.org people do with Dr. Michael Greger that really speaks to this. But when you combine these foods together, they are able to combine them to, in a way that creates a bliss point that so that when you eat the food, it actually gives you a euphoria. Mm. Now, that is a powerful thing. So cheese is, is, is like probably the superfood in this area and not in a good way. It's the super villain food, because when you eat, a, you know, I had a patient this weekend. I was like, you know. All this mucus you're getting and all the, you know, all the wheezing you're getting from your asthma. If you're eating cheese, you should stop. She said, I can't stop eating cheese. I love cheese. I eat, I eat blocks of cheese. But here's what cheese is. Cheese is saturated fat, salt, uh, and cholesterol, basically. Right? I mean, that's, that's, that's really what, it's, what it is. It's concentrated animal fat. Mm-hmm. What happens when you eat, when you take that cheese now and you spread it all over a pizza, the crust is made out of just white flour, which is basically going to just turn into sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you put pepperonis on top, like a lot of people do. You get more fat and you get the salt, on and on and on. The salt's in the cheese. So pizza is the number one most addicting food in the world when they test foods, right? So here's what happens. You eat this food and they've designed it. And it could be, you know, potato chips out of a bag are just very similar because they have all three components as well. You eat it. And when it when you crunch, the first thing they do is they test it for crunch. <laughs> it was like, it's like a potato chip. And there's a bliss point or a crunch point that they get to. What are they mocking? They're trying to imitate what happens when you bread into a fresh celery, apple, or a carrot. The brain thinks, ah, oh, this is amazing. Mm. Many of these foods. So let's switch foods to like, to like, um, to like, um, like not Cheez-Its, but like um, cheese puffs. Like, you know, a little thing of cheese puffs or something. You pop one of those in the mouth and you eat it. It melts in your mouth. So you get a crunch first. Then it melts. Right. Disappearing or what they call vanishing calories happens. When the vanishing calories happens, your brain says, wow, awesome crunch. Mm-hmm. Here's the food. Then when it mm. melts in your mouth like that, your brain says, well, I never got anything. Eat more. Right. So you keep popping and munching on these foods. When you mix salt, sugar, and fat the way that the food industry designs it, it is what it is designed to maximize many things from the crunch to the bliss point. Which, is a, which speaks to the release of dopamine. Cheese has an extra advantage. I'm just going to jump on cheese real quick. That cheese also has casomorphones, uh, which is related to heroin or morphine or, or any opiates. It's a low dose, but when you eat lots of cheese, there's a, a low release of these foods. And so guess what happens? 
you get to the point where you absolutely want and have to have cheese in your diet. That's why you speak to many people who try and go plant-based and whole food. Right. They'll tell you, giving up meat was a lot easier than giving up the cheese. So this, this combination of salt, sugar, fat is not, and it's not that they just combine it. There are food scientists. We have one episode of Slave Food where we talk to one who work to design these foods so that when you eat it, it gives you an overwhelmingly wonderful feeling and taste. Um, and here's what it is. It's hijacking the normal dopaminergic reward pathway in the brain wow. so that what you were supposed to get mm-hmm. when you bite into an apple or a grape that feels so wonderful, when you bite into that donut and you bite into that cheesecake, it is far greater than nature could ever offer. And so you get a whole lot more of the positive wow. reinforcement. So it becomes far more. Mm-hmm. So, so do black people need that positive reinforcement? Is there a difference between people of color craving these foods versus our Caucasian counterparts? That's a brilliant question because it speaks to the other side of this equation. The stress um, spelled backwards mm-hmm. is desserts, right? So mm-hmm. why do you need dessert so much? Or you feel like you need dessert so much mm-hmm. because you're so stressed. So when you throw in the idea that if you're chronically stressed, remember the stress response is put you in a fight or flight state. Um, if you stay in a constant state of fight or flight, it's difficult to regulate it. And what ultimately mm-hmm. begins to happen is you mess up your body completely. We were designed to be in fight or flight state long enough to get away from a, a dog or a, you know, a bear or, 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 or to fight off a, a whatever. But to stay in a state where all day, every day, you're in a chronic state of fight or flight is one of the ways that will cause you to always be releasing this cortisol, right? Mm-hmm. And so now you have, you have to, you know, you, 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 you become resistant and the pro-inflammatory cells of the immune system are inflaming your body, number one. But also what happens is there's a constant release of adrenaline. So now you go into gluconeogenesis. Um, mm. So your insulin levels stay high. So you become insulin resistant. You know, your liver's making sugar in gluconeogenesis to give you energy to run. But if you're not running anywhere, you're watching television, stressed out, you're making sugar that you can't use to do anything with, um, making you almost pre-diabetic by itself in a sense. Um, and then, of course, the adrenaline that's constantly being released increases your heart rate, increases your, um, your blood pressure, uh, you know, all of the different things that, of course, it will do. So um, it's the stress. So now when you are chronically stressed like that and you bite into that honey bun, that Dunkin' Donut, you bite into that, you know... Starbucks pastry, whatever it is you bite into and wash it down with that sugary, creamy, hot drink you get, it is literally, it's, 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 you know, it overwhelms your brain and your reward pathway in a way, again, that a natural food would never do. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that. And uh, let me just jump to this real quick. That is because the foods you're eating are really Franken foods. They're not real foods. Right. They're, they're food-like substances designed to, to create this effect. So, you know, in nature, I have a big bowl of fruit here for my dinner. In nature, the, 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 the sugar is bound to fiber. So when it, you, eat a, you eat a mango, as sweet as it tastes, most of that sugar is not going to be released all at once. In fact, it's going to take a long time to extract it all. Right. It's the same thing with the oils they put in the food. You know, when I tell people you shouldn't eat, eating oils is actually not good for you. I don't want to believe it. But oils are pro-inflammatory. Sugar is pro-inflammatory. When you unbound it from the fiber, and you have to do the same thing to make olive oil. You have to take the oil out of the olive. In the olive, there's fiber, um, right? And salt, right? So salt is something that if you ate it in its natural form, it would be embedded in the leaves of the leafy green vegetables you eat. It would be in the fruit you eat, which in, in just in really tiny quantities 
um, so your body could regulate your salt and you'd be eating lots of potassium, which, would, uh, which allows your body to actually regulate your blood pressure better. But what they've done is strip these three things from their natural sources, or in the case of salt, just mine it, and then they concentrate it in food in a way the human brain was not designed to cons- consume it or to experience it. And so as, so as an African-American, the way that this food changes mood, going back to that, and creates a bit of euphoria, if you're stressed out, you, are going, you will have a strong inkling to this. Now, add into that that our neighborhoods have been flooded with these foods. We call them, you know, nutritionally sparse food swamps. Um, and our people are overly advertised, many of these foods. I mean, so if you watch, uh, look in our magazines or you look on our television programming, there's going to be a lot more advertisement for these foods than you would in other magazines or other um, TV programs. And our neighborhoods can have a fast food restaurant, six, seven of them in a row, never be allowed in many other neighborhoods in the country. I definitely agree with that. But I want you to go um, into a little bit about oils being pro-inflammatory. I'm curious about what you have to, more you have to say about that. Well, it's, be, well, it's because when you, when you eat, there's a couple ways that that happens. Well, one of the major ways is when you eat oil, you know, a teaspoon of oil is 120, 140 calories, whatever it is, a tablespoon, I mean, of oil, right? So you think about what happens when you take a, 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 you know, a, um, a, a thing of white flour, you twist it up like a churro or something, and you deep fry it. It absorbs all that oil into it. When you eat it, that oil doesn't even have to be processed by the body. It literally, there's nothing the body has to do. It is absorbed straight into your bloodstream and then deposited into your fat cells without any processing. It costs your body basically no calories. Whereas if you eat, if you eat carbohydrates, it takes calories to turn the carbohydrate into fat to store into the cell, into your fat cells. So you could take a sample of someone's hip fat or belly fat and actually look at it under a microscope and you would be able to tell what they ate because of the, the layout of the fatty acid chains in their fat cells, mm-hmm. right? That's pretty powerful. But how does that become pro-inflammatory? Well, one of the ways that it is, is fat cells are not inert cells. They don't just store fat. They create and produce things. And especially the fat cells around our organs, the visceral fat, um, brown fat inside of our body, not the one that we, you know, you can pinch, but the one inside behind the abdominal muscle wall. That is very active and very pro-inflammatory when they are full. They release a chemical called, a hormone called leptin, which is supposed to tell you you're full, right? But of course, if you constantly are releasing leptin, especially in a hyperinsulinemic state where you always have high insulin levels, your brain will become leptin resistant. Mm. When your brain becomes leptin resistant, you now have a a second way that you no longer can control your appetite. First one we said, the pro-inflammatory state from stress itself. Mm -hmm. Second one then is a pro-inflammatory state in the sense that happens when you become leptin resistant and it is now telling your brain, don't worry about it. I'm not full. Keep eating. The third one, of course, is what you eat. So saturated fats go in and do the same thing. They cross the blood-brain barrier, go into your brain, and can have the same effect. So you want to know why so many of us, and I throw myself into this, I've been, I've been working on it, losing weight, and I have to stick to the plan constantly to do it because if I slip up at all, I'm like a food crackhead, right? If I have one bad meal, I can, I can relapse and start eating bad all over again. So I got to stay on the plan to do it. Why? My brain has now been primed and messed up in a sense um, to be to want to wanna lean in that direction. So oil, in my opinion, is one of the worst foods you could eat. And I know people talk about needing the, the healthy fats and the omega-3s from olive oils. Better you get that from ground chia seeds and flax seeds 
and things like that than to try and get it from oil. Now, if you're a thin person and you run seven miles a day, you can eat some, you can happily have some oil. But for those who are trying to lose weight, one of the reasons you are not losing weight is because of all of the hidden oils in your food. Even when you take out sugar, if the oil is still there, the oil will continue to feed your fat cells and make sure you keep your weight. So, you know, I think you addressed for us, Dr. Walsh, you know, how, how all these things affect us on the cellular level. So I wanted to start talking about genetics a bit. So could you define for us what epigenetics is and how it impacts the overall health? Mm -hmm. Epigenetics is a fascinating field, relatively new. Basically what epigenetics says is that you, your genes are not simply expressed in the Mendelian way that most of us learned in school where, you know, you make a, a box and it's dominant, recessive, dominant, recessive, 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 yeah. and you, you know, and you kind of throw the dice and you pick one and you're recessive and that's what comes out. What we now know is that, especially under stress, and when I did my doctorate in public health, um, I did some research around this, especially when you're stressed, what happens is there are switches on your genes. Mm. So it's not just that you have the gene for, let's just, just, just for arguments, eye color for blue or brown or whatever, but there's a switch that if you're super stressed, it can flip the switch and change the way that the gene is expressed. But here's what's crazy. It, you then pass on the gene in its flipped form. Right. So if you are some. So, for example, um, they've shown that that pregnant women who are stressed, their babies will lay down more fat cells in utero. They will actually have more adipose cells, fat cells on the, at delivery than if they were not stressed. So now what's crazy is that baby's baby will also have that, even if that mother is not stressed necessarily. Interesting. So epigenetics is, is like, there's an old uh, a text that says, um, the sins of the father visit the children to the third and fourth generation. Epigenetics right. is that when, that when that switch is flipped, you not only pass on that bad gene if it's bad, uh, I mean, you not only have to express that bad gene if it's bad, you pass, on, pass it on in its, in its the, uh, deleterious form to mm -hmm. your uh, prodigy or to your offspring. So epigenetics is profound. It speaks to the fact that nutritional stress, then, if you're eating bad and you switch epigenetic switches, you can possibly pass that on as well. So you start to realize the lifestyle of the parent and the grandparent in many ways helps determine the health and the condition of that child. How can food impact the damage that stress has done at the cellular level? One of the ways that, so I'll give one example. One of the ways that, that stress damages you at a cellular level is, it's, is that it's oxidative stress. Mm -hmm. Oxidative stress is like what causes when you cut an apple and it turns brown. It's what, you know, kind of rusts metal. It mm -hmm. happens on the inside of our bodies. And when you're super stressed out, um, you, can, you can cause there to be more free radicals. If you compound that with a bad diet, low in phytonutrients, low in healthy stuff, high in junk stuff, uh, you will make that worse. Now, food protects you. Here's how. You see, the ultraviolet rays of the sun are incredibly uh, stressful on a plant. They produce lots of oxidative stress. Right. So how are the plants designed to deal with that? Well, they produce antioxidants. Mm -hmm. and so in the leaf of that green plant are antioxidants. And it, it's, it's profound because then when the ultraviolet rays of the sun hit the plant, they can manage it. Um, and so there's two things. Chlorophyll itself turns the plant green, but in the, all of the phytonutrients and antioxidants in the plant itself. When you eat the food, you get the antioxidants. Yes. Mm -hmm. This is why, um, you know, the herbs are for the healing of the nation. It's the plants in the world that actually heal you because they actually can, you can put them in your body. What also we learn is that even when you go out in the sun, 
there are co components of chlorophyll that are activated when the ultraviolet rays pass through you because even though we don't think of it, the, the, the rays pass through our body. They can hit mm -hmm. the chlorophyll in your bloodstream, in your body, and activate in your body the chlorophyll to work on your behalf. Um, it's pretty profound. So you, if, you ha if you're loaded up on these, these leafy green vegetables um, and dark berries like blueberries, the antioxidants are constantly working to erase the presence of, uh, of the oxidative stress, the free radicals floating around in your body so that they don't damage your cell DNA and cause problems, increase aging, risk of cancer and all of that. But they also release other things that are very um, anti-inflammatory. Mm -hmm. And there's some foods that are more anti-inflammatory than others, but plant foods in general are very anti-inflammatory, and which is why you need to eat a very high, in my opinion, you need to really eat a whole food plant-based diet and eliminate all the processed food and all of the animal products. Wow. I, I'm actually, like that right there just blowed my mind because I'm like thinking, I never thought of it that way. So you're telling me what the sun does, the plants, as they're trying to not produce um, or become oxidative they produce antioxidants, and that's what we as humans are consuming, which are great for us to protect us from free radicals. And I because never in general, thought of that. Animals don't produce antioxidants. Wow. So the reason the cow is the way the cow is because the cow eats antioxidants. Mm. Uh, but if you only eat the cow, you don't necessarily get his antioxidants. You got to get your own. And you can only do that by eating green foods. So, you know, we've been lied to for years about our ancestral foods. Um, so I wanted to ask, you know, what can we do? How can we really break the slave food mentality? Because, you know, when, when Joanne and I, when we see patients or when we see clients and we, uh, we refer to them to eat the high nutrient dense foods, we hear things like, oh, that's white people food. We're not going to eat that. So like, what, what can we do to change that? Oh, well, two things. One is not all white people food because poor white people eat bad like just like everybody else and especially you guys are down south you know um some of those waffle houses and all that stuff it's not very healthy food in general you know um it might taste good but it's not healthy right. so that's the first thing but the second thing is you do have to remind people that in fact most indigenous peoples around the world i'd say probably all their basic diet was plant-based mm -hmm. um, for the most part because if you try to eat meat three times a day like americans do now you would run out of animals. I mean, you'd literally, where would you find animals to eat three times a day? We can only do it now because we farm these animals in a very cruel nature most of the time, causing them to release all kinds of stress hormones into their bloodstream. And then you get this nice rare steak and eat it. You literally eat even more stress hormones, making yourself even worse off. So, uh, you know, that's the first thing. It, no, most human people subsisted on a more plant-based diet. But specifically when you look at people of African descent, and people in the African diaspora here in the West, um, you look at the islands like Jamaica, you know, staple foods are foods like kalaloo, right. um, yam, plantain, dashin, you know, chocho. Yes. Um, you go to Haiti, it's the same principle. These are, it's mm -hmm. plant foods. A lot of, it was a lot of brown rice before everybody started polishing rice. Um, <laughs> so you think about these foods. If you go, if you go to the South in America, black Americans, we ate a lot of collard greens and turnip greens and, 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 and okra and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, so our, even before you go beyond, before, you know, even before you reach the middle passage of the slave trade, before mm -hmm. you even get to Africa, we brought a lot of that with us um, mm -hmm. and tried to eat it as much as we could in most places. And it, it still exists in, in some form in our diets, even if it has been westernized. 
So when people say that this is white people's food, it's the unfortunate reality is that they, they're missing the benefit of the foods their ancestors ate, the lifestyles their ancestors had. Um, and, it is, and here's the problem is when you bring, when you, when you come to this country like, or when you live in America and you eat the standard American diet, and you are stressed. And there is a unique stress on African-Americans. Let's just be honest. And you can see that right now with all of what's going on in America around justice and social justice. You know, it's a stressful thing. It's probably stressful for all Americans, but by far, mostly for those who are, are, are having to grapple with it from the, the standpoint of how do we change these things? Mm-hmm. If you're eating the standard American diet, it is only making your stress worse. Um, and what we have to really encourage our people to do is to look beyond the, the immediate gratification and satisfaction that comes from eating these Franken foods. Mm-hmm. We've got to look beyond that and ask, how do I eat to live? How do I eat for strength? How do I eat to thrive, right. not just survive? How do I eat not to change my mood, but change so that I exist in a different mood, that I am just on another level of, of, of living and thinking? And that happens when you feed your body the foods that we were designed to eat, the foods that our ancestors ate in Africa for the most part. Um, And understanding that in the context of of the way that the food industry does it, the reason it's slave food is partly because the food that they are serving to poor white people and to minorities in this country is food that other people have rejected, Mm. right? Government cheese is a good example. Government cheese is the rejected milk products that they couldn't find anything to do with. So they turned it into tubs and tubes of fat and gave it away to poor people all the way, as far away as Guam, Hawaii, Native American reservations, and and in the ghettos of America. So you think about that for a second. It's literally food no one else would eat. They couldn't find a way to make money on it, so the government bought it from them and gave it away to poor people. Um, That's slave food. And you've got to make up your mind as an African-American that you will refuse to be a slave to the wiles of an industry that is happy to make money off of you while killing you at the same time, and then turning you over to the industry we are all a part of, the medical, industrial, pharmaceutical complex, where they will actually sell you pills for the rest of your life, um, happily sell you pills to treat your diabetes, hypertension, mm-hmm. uh, congestive heart failure, asthma, on and on, or COPD, happily sell you those medicines the rest of your life and have you continue to eat the food that causes those diseases. Right. You have to choose to not be a slave. And I wish we would, because there's a movement now for us to get away from what our colonizers are, you know, have done to us for ages and ages. But I don't think people are thinking the food route, like the foods that you're eating were put on you. Them chitlins were leftovers that the slave master didn't want to eat and they left it to you. But now we frying it, we eating pork skins and all that stuff. And I don't think we see it as like, well, this was leftover food. Pig's feet pig tripe. Nobody in their right mind would look at a pig and want to eat its intestines. You know, this was the food that they rejected. They refused. And so they said, you know, we can't eat it. Give it to the slaves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to think of that as like some kind of a way to live and eat is is really, really destructive. But Bob Marley said it best. I'll quote my man Bob Marley for a second. Bob Marley said in the song, Redemption Song, Bob Marley said, emancipate yourself from mental slavery because none but ourselves can free our minds. Yes. And that is one of the truest statements ever sung in any form of music, because the truth is, unless you break the chain up here, they will keep you chained here, keep you chained in your pocketbook, keep you chained to the dialysis machine, keep you chained to the hospital bed. They will keep you chained in every other way if you can't break this chain. Right. 
Well, I can see that people can see your passion and they may have an inkling of why you started the Slave um, Food Project. But can you go into that a little bit as to why you and Dr. Columbus decided to get together and start this project? Well, let me first start saying Dr. Columbus is my inspiration. Um, you know, he is one who lives what he preaches. I mean, this brother, if we go somewhere and they're serving food and he looks at it and it is not exactly healthy, he will literally fast until he can get the food that wow. is to his standard. And that has changed the way I look at food. I walk with food now because of him. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't want to order lunch at food at work. I, I have a bag of salad and food that I eat myself because I've learned from him that you, this is something you got to take serious every single day. And the other, the, and the reason both of us are so passionate about this is because we've lost family members to these diseases. We've lost family members to like preventable lifestyle diseases. And we've seen the damage that the standard American diet does to, to African-Americans. And I'll be honest with you, we, we focus on African-Americans. For me, it's bigger than race. Mm -hmm. I, I, would, I would love to liberate all Americans, no matter what color you are, from the detrimental effects of these foods. I believe it is like a divine and higher calling to tell people of the dangers of simply sitting at um, the table of gluttony and, and just figuring out a way to just make yourself feel good with food. It is no different in a sense than, than taking drugs when you look at the consequences people get from eating food and their inability to change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like a crackhead, uh, you know, a crack addict you, that says, listen, I don't want to keep doing crack, but I can't stop. Mm -hmm. You go to a lot of my patients and I would say, listen, you should, if you do this, this and this, and they'll be like, I can't. Mm -hmm. There's no way I'm going to stop eating this food. Wow. Um, and that passion to try and inform people that there is a better way and you can eat and be just as happy if you eat a whole food plant-based diet. And, and you know, the reason why, and I, and I know you guys listening out are probably like, oh, here, here they go again. I'm passionate about this, the, the, this movement and how I feel like it's being said on social media, because I feel like the people who are affected the most by the negative outcomes of this movement will be the black community, because we are the ones that are hypertensive, that are diabetic, that um, are living in food swamps, that ha don't have access to good produce and good um, high nutrient density foods. And you're, you know, if you're preaching out, eat what you want, you know, all these years we've been listening to, you know, eat well, you know, so that we can reverse your condition. And now you're telling us we got a free card. So what do you think is going to happen to these people who don't have access to food? They're going to go to the bodega. They're going to go to the corner store and eat whatever they want. That movement really is tied into one that basically says, listen, your, your body should be what your desire should dictate how you live. And, and a, a great medical doctor who's also a pastor, Dr. James Kyle out in uh, California, uh, spoke once before a health and temperance meeting I was at. And he said something profound. He said, your body will conspire to kill you. If you mm. give your body everything it wants, your body will conspire to kill you. Literally. And I'm telling you, in the times when I was most depressed, most alone, mm -hmm. I mean, I would go and buy, you know, veggie burgers. I'd go to um, I forget the name of the restaurant in California and buy veggie burger and right next door one and buy one of them little personal pizzas at this restaurant right next door. And I would go home and eat them because I was all alone and I was sad and I was depressed and I would eat those foods and I felt better for 30, 40 minutes. And then I felt bad all over. Again. Oh, wow. You cannot feed your, your, your flesh. You've got to have a higher calling on how you live your life if you want. Right. Um, and this is why my cousin played in the NFL, Sean Taylor. Uh, R.I.P. Um, and Sean, you know, when it, football season was coming, he changed the way he ate drastically. 
Hmm. I mean, he drastically changed the way he ate because he had a higher purpose. It was to perform on the football field. He was out running again. You, you, you see what I'm saying? So you can't, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, listen, eat whatever you want and expect the best outcome. It, it just doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to be honest with people and say, listen, you got a choice to make. And then the problem is when you talk like that, you're not giving people the full information. You know what they tell us in the medical field? But don't tell people to eat differently because no one's going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. That's, that's lying to people. You should tell people what is the best way to reverse the disease. Mm-hmm. Let them make the decision if they want to follow it or not if they want to moderate it or not, or if they want to reject it completely. But to tell them, look, there's no real hope. You have to take pills the rest of your life when in fact you don't. You can reverse diabetes in a large, type two diabetes in a large percentage of cases simply by changing people's diet. Mm -hmm. And it's unfair that many people will go to the doctor, be diagnosed with diabetes and put on diabetes medicine and never told that if they stopped eating fried chicken, French fries, biscuits and gravy, um, and soda pop every day, they could actually reverse it if they replace those foods with whole foods and plants. And, you know, that is true because I know particularly with one client of mine, uh, her A1C was high and her physician wanted to wanted her to go on a keto diet. So, she, you know, she was wise enough to say, no, let me see a dietitian nutritionist. And I mean, I got that A1C down to 5.7. Simply, simply by informing her, you need to in, you need to increase the amount of whole grains, the amount of fruits, the amount of vegetables, the amount of water, and that soda pop in your diet. So now this physician, who I've, I, I say I've converted him, sends all his patients to me. So with that being said, Dr. Walsh, people may want to contact you. I know you're a hard guy to find on social media because I didn't even find you on social media. LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. So it's Dr. Eric Walsh on LinkedIn. You can find me, Eric Walsh. Uh, I don't know how you find me on LinkedIn because I never look for myself, but I am on LinkedIn. Uh, (laughs) I look like me on LinkedIn. Um, And um, uh, yeah, you can do that or you can reach out to me through the Slave Food website, um, www.slavefood.org. So with that being said, thank you guys for listening to our podcast. Remember to rate and review, subscribe and share, and to tell your friends to tell their friends about this podcast. Thank you. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Bye, guys. Thank you, guys.